Morning, everybody. Hope you guys are good. Good to be here. I'm so honored. Uh, it's uh, been a year to this day that I was in Manhattan uh, for a special friend's memorial, and uh, it's just uh, amazing how you, how fast a year goes by. And um, but I am privileged. Jonathan uh, asked me to come open this series that you guys are going to be camped out in for the next few weeks on the impossible life. And uh, the more I just spent time in prayer, the more I started getting really excited about our time together. And I really feel the Lord has a word for us this morning. And um, yeah, just uh, over the past 30 years of following Jesus, basically, um, really, this would probably be one of the biggest, biggest impartations the Lord's probably put in my life. And so uh, really would like us to pray before we dive into his word. Holy Spirit, we just thank you, God, for hungry hearts that are here to know you, to know you more, to maybe encounter you for the first time. But Father, Lord, we come and bow before you. God, we humbly come and just say, Father, open up your word to us. Let us see things that maybe we've never even attempted to see. And Father, open up our mind and our heart to live this life that you sent Jesus to die to secure for us to live. And Father, it seems at times that it may be impossible, but Father, with you all things are possible. And so Father, I pray that Lord, in this time today and in this series and this season, God, that you would take this people and make them an impossible people. Make them people that God, when people get around them, they say, I know they've been with Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, if we can do anything uh, today, let us focus on you and uh, open our ears to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you know there is a difference between a KU fan and a K-State fan, huh? <laughs> right? Uh, my dad went to KU. I went to KU, and uh, when, when, uh, when, when we moved here, uh, I knew I was here for a little bit of a season. And so, and I'm not like the hardest core uh, sports fan, so I didn't have too much of a moral problem once we moved here to throw a nice power cat on the front of my Honda Accord, right? And you wouldn't think that that would be a big declaration of war, but it was in that I went to go watch uh, our friend play a scrimmage at KU one time, and I'm there with my Honda Accord, power-catted out Honda Accord, and I park in the parking lot of KU Stadium, and I get back to my car, and my car got hazed by a KU fan I'm like, I went to school here, you know what I mean? But I guess I got what I would ask for. It's like, dude, you turned teams. But anyway, and how many of you know that there's a difference between Chiefs fans and Bronco fans? Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Denver Bronco fan from back in the day. Uh, but, uh, but Mahomes is, is winning me over, I'm telling you. Win, uh, and been living in Kansas City for 15 years. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep up the, the, Denver, the Denver heat. Um, but anyway, um, around Jesus' day, there was, there was another thing that people could kind of tell a difference of. And, and it was the difference of between a religious person and a person that actually knew Yahweh. 
And it would seem like Jesus was, was very skilled at kind of being able to decipher in between kind of the religious person and those whose our hearts are hungry for God. And it seems like one crew is just satisfied with knowing about God or knowing the facts about God or knowing the concepts and getting the theology all right. And then those that actually commune with the God of all creation. And that's really what I wanted to talk about this morning was just communing with God. That maybe it's a little bit better. Maybe it's a little bit more flowered out. Maybe it's a little more deeper than you thought this relationship with God was. Because sometimes we just get kind of exposed to the religious crew, maybe growing up or, you know, you had a kind of a hyper-religious friend nearby and you kind of like exposed to that. But really the life that Jesus came to provide people is not a life of religion. It's a life of actually communing with the God that made you And in that communion, there's a transformation that takes place, a life transfer, his life into yours, and you transform into being the person that God designed you to be. But we as men and women and humanity, we love overcomplicating it. We love taking something very simple and making it really difficult. And we have a history uh, throughout church history of uh, doing that. Uh, but it can also, we can find this kind of, uh, kind of infant, con- uh, infant walk in the Lord by even how we even approach God. Sometimes uh, I would say the religious person is kind of prone to uh, treating God as if he's kind of some cosmic supernatural Santa Claus that whenever I need something, whenever, I, whenever I'm in a bind, whenever it's like, oh man, I made a bad decision and I'm now feeling guilty and now I turn to the Lord, or it's like, man, things aren't working out the way I expected. I, I had a certain expectation of how things were going to kind of pan out. And then a curveball got hit. How do I? And then, God, where are you? And it seems like sometimes that's the only time we find ourselves before the Lord in prayer. Like, God, I need something. I'm now at a place where my own self-reliance or my own kind of like effort has now reached its conclusion and I'm now having to finally admit that I don't have what it takes and I need you. So we can have kind of a childlike prayer life our whole life. We could follow Jesus for decades and still be like a child in prayer because we're just going to him when we need something. But we, if we're a follower of Jesus, we need to go deeper in a more mature communion with the God that made you. A place where he reveals himself, a place where he reveals his heart to you, where you can see, look at him in his eyes, where you can see what God wants you to hear, or you get wisdom, insight, discernment. God, I got a decision in front of me. Where do I go? But it isn't what Jesus died to give you as a form of religion for you to just follow the rules so that one day you might get into heaven. No, that's not the setup. That is religion setup. That is the, what differentiates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the planet. It is that you have to climb certain ways and you never know until you meet God face to face. If your karma has superseded your bad, if uh, you've done enough to kind of overweigh your 
sin, but Jesus is like, I want my children to know that they are in my family from the day one they follow me. And that's why I give them my Holy Spirit. It's because they're adopted into the family and they know from day one that they're loved, that they're fully embraced, and that God has a desire to make them whole. We come in with a lot of brokenness. And that's sometimes funny about church. You know, we can kind of like get around and look around and like, look at all the happy people when we think like, man, my life is a wreck. You know what I mean? And we think kind of like maybe my drama or the stuff I'm going through, the chaos that I'm going through, I'm the only one. Come to find out that everybody in a church is broken. (laughs) We're all jacked. We all need Jesus. We all need him to come in and us to be with him and that we're transformed in that process. Paul said this, Galatians 4, 7, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Imagine if a child, if your own child, had to feel like they had to clean up their act before they could actually talk to you. That would be kind of weird. Man, i got to clean up my room. Dad, I, Dad's going to get mad. i I got to clean up. i got to get everything kind of order. And then when I, I can finally... We, we can be okay, because if he comes in the room now, but we're not going to actually be at rest, is he's going to talk about my junk, and i got to clean up my room, and so i got to clean up my mess. And that's a human, normal human reaction. It's like when we get near God, it's like i got to clean my stuff up before I can. And the fact is you can't. There's nothing within you that has the ability to clean up your own mess. You are broken eternally. And we need the God of all creation to come and father us. But it's this invitation into family. It's this invitation into, into a home where you can feel at rest. And that was kind of my background. Growing up in church, kind of my mom kind of went every week. And dad loved playing tennis most Sundays. And so he would kind of come every once in a while. And, and it was kind of a big, large church and kind of a nice social club and pretty cool youth group and Man, all the bells and whistles to that, and then I get in college, and then I'm, I'm just doing my own thing. And uh, then a, a friend of mine just confronted me on the way I was living my life, and it woke me up. And, I, and, and it was in this season where I just, God got my attention, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm, me being in charge of my own life is not working out. I'm actually creating a lot more hurt than I am blessing. I'm actually not going in the direction as hard as I want to go in that direction. I'm headed in this direction. Plus, all my buddies are headed in that direction. But, you know, we don't want to admit that. We just, we just want our dreams and aspirations to come true. But, huh? Which story? Huh? Oh, well. So the way this guy, the way this guy called me out was... Uh, I was kind of a fraternity guy. That's who I was back then. I know, I know. Lord, let him still hear your word through this this vessel. But anyway, uh, so yeah, we were uh, in a dining hall studying for finals. End of my freshman year, I was in the dining hall by myself and studying by myself, enjoying the quietness. And this guy who kind of radically got born again in my house, opening and closing bars, kind of the drunkard of the house just radically got born again and 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 he was kind of a pretty intense guy uh you think i may be intense uh you take me times 10 it was his level of intensity was just like whoa 
And if you got in his wake, I mean, it was like, it could be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, depending on your mood. But um, he got, he came into the, long story long, uh, he came into the dining room and uh, I was playing this religious game. I was playing these religious game. I was kind of being the good kid to most people and having this little hidden life on the side. And he knew that. And he says, man, the way you're living your life is dishonoring the cross and gospel of Jesus Christ. Either get right with him or stop saying you're a Christian. You know, my pride just reeled up. And I said, I'm an effing Christian. You don't have to know what you're talking about. And I got so mad, I stormed out of the room. And it was like he put his finger right on the very point that I was trying to keep hidden from the rest of the world. And he found me out. And uh, that began this little process. And it was like, it was shortly thereafter, giving my life. It was like I finally felt the peace of God. I finally felt at home for the first time. I've lived this religious life trying to follow the rules. But it was finally when I gave up and actually gave, sur just surrendered, just said, God, I want you in charge. I'm your servant the rest of my life. Just do with me as you please. You're the best king and lord and father and friend I could ever wish for. So I'd, li I'd like you to be in charge now. And the sense of peace and just a sense of being at home, really for the first time, came to my life. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. It's to me, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will people say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's the religious crowd. That's the religious crowd that has, does all the religious things. We've done all the right things. We've done all these things. And Jesus replies, I never knew you. The sole purpose in life is to know the God that made you. In other words, the chief aim of mankind is to know God and enjoy him fully. God wants to bring you into a greater place of closeness, intimacy, connectedness, camaraderie. If intimacy for the fellas is a rough word, think about camaraderie with the Lord. Um, for that's been his desire all along. Uh, in, in, in Exodus 29, you don't, might not believe me that that's been his desire. Sometimes it seems like, hey, he's waiting for us to come up to him. But no, that's actually not true. Exodus 29, uh, in the context, uh, the Lord is speaking to the Levites. And he's saying this. He says, at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you. God's saying this to speak with you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. There's a place for you with the Lord that is not you going to the Lord asking for something, that there's actually maybe a deeper place in the Lord where you just go be with the Lord to be with him. Not asking for anything. Being with the Father of creation and enjoying his presence. Can you go to God without an agenda? But the people, the people love relying on experts, right? We kind of like nowadays, that's kind of got us in a little trap. We've been listening to the experts a little too much. 
realize that those experts get a lot of money to say what they say. And we kind of contend to trust experts maybe over our own logical rationale. But we love trusting the experts, and that's part of humanity. And so Israel's response to this invitation by God to like, I want to meet with you personally. They just, the rest of the people just said, let the priests meet with God and then let us know how that goes. Because <laughs> we don't want to meet with him. You can meet with him and then you let us know how it goes. That's never been the dream of God. That's not what, he's like, I want every son and daughter of me connected to me. Not going through a priest or through some institution or through some vehicle. I want you connected to me. David, a man after God's own heart, the warrior, ruler, worshiper, spent his early days guarding sheep and cultivating his relationship with Yahweh. In Psalm 63, sorry, Psalm 63, uh, he says this, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek for you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. That's amazing. He's beholding the Lord in the sanctuary. He's beholding his power and glory. The crazy thing is, the temple hadn't been built yet. They're out in the desert. He's shepherding sheep. Where is he seeing this? He's seeing this as he's communing with the Lord. And he's having like visions of the Lord. Like, man, I see you in your sanctuary. I, the, your power and glory. Oh my goodness. I worship you. How about this? Psalm 16, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, these psalms are poems that create an imagination that kind of like is based upon God's reality, God's truth. And here's David. He's like, I've set the Lord always before me. Like just kind of like envisioning, man, the Lord's before me and he's at my right hand. Man, why is he saying that? Man, man, he's as I'm out in the fields or walking in the city. Now this kind of beholding in the sanctuary from the wilderness is turned into God's presence walking with him just in everyday life. Like, it's not like I have to go out to the, you know, the super sexy conference or listen to this certain preacher. And it's like, no, it's you and God walking together, navigating life. Simple. What David cultivated in private with the Lord has now grown to his walking everyday life. And uh, to... Maybe begin, put your tray tables up and seat backs. But um, that uh, it was probably 10 years after following Jesus, feeling that at home, definitely different from the religious background, but still kind of finding myself in this kind of childlike state 
Now, it's good to kind of have a heart of a child and humility of a child, and I, I'm curious to learn and hungry for truth, and, and I don't have it all, and I don't feel like I have to have all the answers. Um, where was I going with that? Um, oh, and then, uh, but it took me about 10 years to kind of like, God, I don't, I, I, I know that you came to give more than just that kind of life. This kind of like Santa Claus list type life, I know there's something deeper. And so I just said, Lord, just reveal yourself. In this season, I was just like, God, I want to know you more. And um, found myself just kind of in, in a little worship service and, and, uh, and just in, in prayer, just kind of closing my eyes. Um, it turned from just kind of blackness to uh, me and the Lord just kind of walking down this little pathway. And... Uh, I was like, that's kind of interesting. Hey, Jesus, what's up? And uh, so we just kind of, and, and he turns to me. He goes, you can always come here to chat. So I was like, huh, okay, okay, I'll see you, Jesus. All right, so so, um, so that's where, for a little season, that's where I, so I, as my prayer, that's where I'm going. I'm walking with Jesus on this little pathway. That's what he showed. And then um, just spending a little more time just in that kind of space, just being with him. Hey, Lord, I want to be with you. Uh, it's kind of shortly led to like this little cabin and just me and Jesus hanging on the back porch. And, and that's where we talk. And that's where we talk every day. And uh, through the years, it's kind of grown into different kind of locations and different things. Uh, one place you can kind of overlook things. When I get overwhelmed, it's the only time I get frustrated and angry is when I feel overwhelmed. And so there's a little lookout mountain, lookout cliff that we can kind of, me and Jesus, go overlook and, and analyze the situation from 30,000 foot view rather than in the weeds. And I'm like getting so overwhelmed. Hey, let me get from perspective from Jesus on this. Um, so anyway, I could kind of go on, but and not so much on a, on a Sunday morning to get into the nitty gritty on that. But, but there's this place that God wants to develop between you and him that no other human being can get to the depth of, closeness of. And I'll say this. Uh, there's something about uh, the enemy knows how powerful your God-given imagination is. And it's one of the reasons why he spends overtime trying to fill it with everything but God. So, uh, I mean, you can... I mean, kind of the, the, the objective is to mar them and scar them. I mean, when you think of like pornography use, when that happens and that lodges itself in where? Our imagination. So that becomes this permanent filter by which we kind of start looking at people in a different way instead of images of God, image bearers of God. They're now, they're things to consume. And it's like, it's this twisted demonic way, but it takes place in our imaginations. Musings about comfort. Watching the HGTV channel, you know, and just kind of like this, the musings about the life of comfort. Where does that take place? That takes place in your imagination. How about uh, pleasure, the thoughts of pleasure? Oh, man, that, that, oh, that, that steak meal. Mm, what are you doing? You're imagining eating that steak meal. Um, think about where fear, think about fear, the powerful stronghold of fear that our enemy always loves to use because we are like sheep. But think about where fear takes place. It's creating images of the future without God. 
every time. It's an image of the future devoid of God being there. Without his presence, without his goodness, and these, these, these kind of like pictures of fear begin to kind of just flower out, and we can kind of create our own little world of what's going to happen in the future that are based upon lies. And we get so emotionally kind of like caught up into that, and it's like, no, let God, give God the just dominion over your imagination. And God, just like those Israelites, when we meet together, I pray that this would be a consecrated place, that the enemy would not be able to get in, that when I'm meeting with you, that this is time between me and the creator of heaven and earth. And nothing can get in the way of that. And so, God, I know that this place is private, it's safe, it's protected, and it's before you. So, God, let's, let's be a family. This isn't you creating your own little mind palace. You know, there's, there's kind of this phrase out there about what creating your mind palace and helping your memory and how to remember names and how to remember history or whatever. And this isn't that. This isn't you in your own self-effort trying to drum up a, a reality with you and Jesus in it. This is not it. It is Jesus, I pray, that you would reveal yourself and wait until he does and then follow him in that time with him. Um, God said this. Ephesians 2, Paul, the Apostle Paul, said, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only because God's grace that we've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with him in Christ. So God can point to us. Check this. This is wild. So God can point to us, his disciples, the followers of Jesus. So God can point to his children in all future generations as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. And that comes not by being religious. It comes by that as a person who spent time with Jesus. And I can tell. That's something you can't fake. That's something you can't market. But when you walk, when you're around people, they can tell. And that's kingdom marketing. If there is a such a thing. Marketing in the kingdom. It's two different worlds. But anyway, see that through Christ, this, hum, this invitation to humble ourselves and see that God has opened up his ancient doors to be welcomed into his presence, that because of the blood sacrifice of Yeshua, Yamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, that this door is now swung wide open and it's open to whoever that will come and humble themselves, repent of their brokenness and rebellion, and say, God, I'm giving my allegiance to you, and I want to walk in this closeness that I've been designed to walk in. To wrap up, there's this little, my, one of my favorite movies. It's a little old. I can't do movie references anymore because we don't have kind of the old school cultural movie theater. Remember, like, with the drive-in and the drive-in was epic. The drive, you couldn't beat a drive-in. You guys still have a drive-in here? Oh, shame. That's so bad. I mean, uh, the, the drive-in was the best. Anyway, 
It's where the whole town came out. I mean, it was, okay. So then you had the movie theater. Um, where, okay, but one of my favorite movies is Braveheart. Just where are we going with this? Movie references. But one of my favorites, uh, yeah, Braveheart, yes. Every male, you know, just kind of getting called up. But, um, but it is an old reference, and so I recognize if you're a college student, you may not have seen Braveheart. I totally am a little old. So um, there is this scene. Basically, it's a story in between this guy, William Wallace. He's from Scotland. And uh, he's trying to, uh, England uh, basically had dominated uh, the nobles of Scotland, and they were in their pockets. And so to the people, they're like, hey, uh, our representatives are in the pockets of a different country or a large transnational organization. I'm sure we wouldn't know anything about that. Anyway, so, um, so we got William Wallace, and um, he rallies the people. And there's this scene where the nobles, because he comes from a particular family line uh, and he'd done some mighty heroic acts, the nobles start arguing as to now that William Wallace has won because of his victory, which enables which noble to supersede power. And they're arguing. And he, as they begin arguing, turns around and with his band of warriors, true warriors, these nobles are not begin walking up the stairs, and they're like, wait, 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 and this one noble interrupt, wait, William, where are you going? And he turns around to him, and he says, you're busy scrabbling over the scraps from Longshank's table that you've missed your God-given right for something better, and I go see that they have it. And it's like, I think that we've been so distracted, appealed by, seduced by our enemy in such a way that we're kind of just we've been happy with scraps from our enemy's table that we've missed our God-given right for something better which is actually freedom in Christ and you walking face to face before the Lord he's made you for an impossible life and that actually begins the first step, and that's why I felt it was an honor to just get this series going, is that the first step is communing with the one who has everything you need. And that is sourced by just being before the Lord and him being before you. I've set the Lord always before me. So for what is before us, I feel like in this generation, uh, in this culture, as God's people, enough with the religious games. I think people are kind of done with that. A lot of people kind of left church, uh, and I felt like that was probably maybe the best thing for the church because actually it's like, who are the hungry? Who are the ones that are actually wanting to know truth and to know me? Uh, and that may have been the most beautiful thing that's happened in the church in the last decade. Anyway, he needs all of us true family connected to one another, and most importantly to him, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just take this seed and water it, nurture it, fertilize it, and grow it. Lord, I pray just for the time with you, that, Lord, that we would make the time, we would set time to just quiet our soul, quiet our mind, block out all distractions, and just be with you. And God, teach us and train us what, it, what that's like.
God, that might be awkward for us. It might be just like, man, we're closing our eyes, just seeing darkness. Like, man, that's cool. You've started. You're on the journey. You've moved out of the harbor. You are now pursuing the Lord. You are now actually asking him to show up. And God, reveal yourself. So, Father, your word says in Jeremiah, Lord, if we seek you and seek you with your whole heart, God, you'll reveal yourself. And so, Father, I pray that we would not be satisfied with that kind of religious life, that God is just kind of familiar with duty, familiar with following the rules, but God, at the end of the day, we feel like we've never actually been with you and felt relaxed and at home. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, for each and every one, God, that you would help us by your Spirit and through your Word, Lord, help us feel at home with you, and God, even draw us into the deeper end of just God being communing with you and being with you and talking about our day and getting insight and direction and, and discernment and encouragement from you as we live life uh, as a crucified people with your life living in us. In Jesus' name, amen.